Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Anne Blythe. Anne is the producer and host of the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast and founder and executive director of BTR.org. They offer daily online group sessions for women victims of emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion with multiple sessions a day in every time zone. Anne is the author of an educational picture book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, and is a frequently requested speaker at events such as the National Center on Sexual Exploitation Global Summit. I'm bringing her back because of how powerful an episode we had earlier. If you've experienced or you're experiencing a lack of emotional safety, sexual coercion, abuse in your relationship, you need to listen to this episode. Anne Blythe is back to help you understand what abuse looks like so that you can move towards healing once and for all. Here we go. Okay, everybody. I have Anne Blythe with us again. She was so great on one of our earlier episodes. I will link to that episode uh, that we brought that we brought her back. We are talking about we are talking about pornography and the emotional impact and how it's a betrayal and that and so much more. So if this is something you're experiencing, I want you to know you are in great hands with our guest today. Welcome, Anne. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on again, Debbie. It's a pleasure. And we've always, and I remember in the last episode, we said you're sort of the emergency room and the PBT Institute is the recovery room. Tell us why, tell everybody why we came up with something like that. What do you see on a daily basis? And then we'll get into it from there. On a daily basis, a lot of women are wanting to heal, right? And and you get that all the time. And um, there's a big difference between trying to heal when you're still being continually injured and healing when you are safe. So our top priority at BTR is safety. Uh, I find that so many women who are, can't heal, they're, they're really trying, they're trying to get progress. They don't realize that they're still unsafe. So in terms of the ER, we are, our goal is to have women understand what emotional safety is, understand what psychological safety is, understand sexual coercion. So they really can see, oh, am I currently safe? Now, once they are actually safe, once they're not being emotionally abused on a daily basis, psychologically abused, they have set boundaries so that they understand the difference between their abuser and them and what's going on. Then there is a recovery period of figuring out who you are and taking back your life. And that is what you do so well. And we both do those things kind of, right? But but that safety piece is what we really focus on at BTR. And, and I would love to dive into that even deeper. So just so the just so someone listening says, wait a second, am I safe? I don't even know. It's almost like the frog, you know that story about the frog in the boiling water, right? Like if a frog is, for those who don't, if the frog, if you take a frog, it's kind of gross, but if you take a frog and you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, the frog would jump out because it knows it's in trouble. If you take a frog and put the frog in lukewarm water and then turn it up one degree at a time, the frog doesn't even know it's in danger and would slowly boil to death which is what happens in these kinds of instances. We don't even know what's happening, but it's happening. Explain to us what it may look like for that. that we, and we work with men and women within the PBT Institute, but you're referring to women. So how would it look for them to be in a situation like that and they're not even sure? Are they in trouble? Right. Or- 
Yeah. In order to make uh, BTR a really safe space, we decided to limit it to women victims only of male perpetrators, um, male, like their intimate partners of emotional, psychological abuse and sexual coercion. So when it comes to safety, you, a lot of people will ask, well, do you feel safe? And usually a victim of abuse will think, well, I don't, he hasn't hit me. Um, I mean, I get, I, I am nervous or I'm scared sometimes of him cheating on me again, maybe, or maybe finding out about another lie. Um, but I, I think I'm safe is usually the answer. They don't know that someone lying to you is a safety situation. This is an extremely dangerous situation to your emotions, to your psychological health, because they are creating this alternate reality that you don't know that you're living in. And that's really unsafe. So women start to realize, wait a minute, I've been thinking about safety as this physical thing, right? Is he blocking my transportation? No, he's not. Is he stopping me from leaving the house? No, he's not taking away my phone. He's not keeping me from seeing friends, things like that. And so they think, well, I guess I, I guess I'm safe. But if you ask, tune in to what we call your sacred internal warning system, right? Tune into that. Do you feel a warning going off when it comes to emotional safety? Do you feel like you are completely emotionally safe with this person? And then I might compare it to how do you feel with your best friend? or a sister or mom, or, you know, some, I, I know that not everybody's sister is safe or mom, but if I asked someone, does your sister feel safe to you? They're never going to say, well, she's never hit me. They're going to say, you know, no, every time I'm around her, she like comments on my clothes and tells me, and, and no, it doesn't feel safe. You know, they get it when it comes to that, but for some reason you add a man into it and suddenly it becomes about physical safety, which we know that a physical abuse episode, it never, ever, ever, ever happens in a vacuum. And if you see the emotional and psychological abuse first and recognize that and get to safety at that point, then the likelihood of a physical abuse episode happening is lower because it's not it, a physical abuse episode is not going to happen out of nowhere. It always is accompanied by emotional and psychological abuse. And most women who have had Physical abuse as part of their story as well, say that the emotional and psychological abuse was actually the most difficult part to understand because it's the hard, hardest to see. It's the hardest to wrap your head around. And it's also sometimes the hardest to recover from in terms of long-term um, recovery, whereas like healing, and this sounds so awful. So those of you who have had a physical abuse episode, I apologize, but healing from a broken arm, it's a little bit more obvious what happened and your arm can heal, you know within a six, eight week period, it's it, the, the mental things that we have to reframe are so much harder to overcome. You know, I, and, and it's so right. What you're saying, it, the, I could see the emotional always comes with the, with the physical, not to minimize either one of them. I mean, they're, they're, right. they're horrible, but it's, um, with the emotional, I can see how we, we would tend to either minimize it or make excuses for it or, is there, I mean, is there a certain like setup that you've seen that would have someone minimize it? Is there like, like if you could let us know a, like a character portrait of someone who like, this is going to be the person who minimizes this type of abuse. What would, mm -hmm. what would she look like? Who would she be? Um, I'm going to reframe that a little bit. I would say this woman knows something's wrong. And so she's going to go for help. 
So she's going to go to clergy or a couple therapist usually. And when she gets to clergy or when she gets to the couple therapist, she says something like, it just doesn't feel right. Like he's angry all the time. I don't feel like I can trust him. I'm, I'm confused and I'm a little bit worried, right? He's looking at porn. He's been cheating. You know, can you help him like with in a clergy scenario? Can you help him repent? Right. I don't want to ruin our family. This betrayal that has occurred is hurting me. And I feel like I can't heal from it. That type of thing. Um, in that scenario with a couple therapist or clergy, the likelihood of this type of emotional and psychological abuse being completely dismissed by a helping professional or clergy is extremely high. We do not recommend that women in this situation go for help with a couple therapist or from clergy. They, the likelihood of clergy thinking, okay, well, this is a couple issue and the top priority is to keep this couple together. Same thing with a couple therapist, rather than this is an abuse issue and the top priority for her needs to be safety, which actually might mean not talking to him for a minute, right? Until she's safe, until she's okay. And she's separated emotionally and psychologically from him. Because the second that that therapist or that um, clergy brings him in and says, you know what, she's concerned, you're doing this, this, and this, then the psychological abuse known as grooming is going to kick in, gaslighting is going to kick in, she's going to become part of the problem, and that is going to make her um, ability to get to safety exponentially worse. So this woman, if I if I said this is what she looks like, I've been there, I probably everyone listening has been there. It's um, maybe, well, he has so much childhood trauma that he has a hard time or he has a sex addiction or a pornography addiction, or he's working on his anger management issues, or when he gets stressed out, this is, this is what happens. So going down any other road other than emotional and psychological abuse always adds more chaos and a longer recovery time to a victim's progress. Ugh, I'm like cheering over here because it's so it's so validating to hear you say that, Anne, because there are so many people who come into the PBT Institute with therapy trauma or with yeah. religious trauma because it's so, they assume, okay, well, you know what? Let me go to this couple's counselor because we feel like, okay, that'll help us, you know? And meanwhile, the only goal is to get the couple okay, but the but the person who's being hurt is never validated, is never acknowledged. And then they're feeling betrayed again because their story is being minimized or not acknowledged or something. And then with, with clergy, you know, we see that all the time too, where they're assuming they're gonna go and get that support that they need at the time where they need it. And again, they're minimized, they're discouraged from speaking up, speaking out. And what is that person left to feel or to believe? Well, it right. must be me, I have to find a way to get over this, to just be okay with it. Where the goal now becomes, let me find a way to be okay with this abuse instead of this is abuse. Let me find a way to be okay, period. Right, let me get to safety. Yeah, it's really interesting with when the grooming starts. So, um, you know, a, a clergy will call him in and say, hey, you've been using pornography. This is wrong, right? We, we need to stop this. And he's like, you're right. I agree. I, I've wanted to stop. It's been so hard. I have this childhood trauma and, and I'm, I get so stressed. And these are my, you know, whatever the abuser says, 
And the clergy's like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that that part of your life is over. Congratulations. You're a new man. Start over. And she still is like, something is wrong. She doesn't know it maybe, but she's being gaslit. She's being lied to. He's likely still doing pornography. It's just harder to see. He's getting better at lying about it. And he's lying to his clergy now. So when this happens, then you get this uh, response from professionals. Oh, this is your PTSD, right? This is your trauma from the past. And it is affecting your current relationship rather than thinking, wait a minute, this is real life, real time trauma because you were emotionally abused today. You were emotionally abused yesterday. This is not from two months ago or five years ago. Even, even, um, I think this even comes into play with women who are divorced, at least at BTR, they think I should be able to move on because I'm divorced. Right. And this is what we talked about with like recovering because you're not being abused anymore. So you're out of the relationship and you feel like I'm out of the relationship, but those women too are having a hard time starting that healing process because they don't realize they are still they still are unsafe despite the fact that they're abused. And the example is that they share children with their abuser. And so their abuser is messaging them every day. They don't have strategies to know that they can, you know, block them on their phone or use a parenting app or some things like that. And so outside people might be thinking, why does she keep talking about this? She got divorced three years ago. Like, can't she get over it? Rather than realizing this is a current victim of abuse. The story she just told about her ex was about today and how he's undermining their children. This is not about something that happened five years ago. So we do have a workshop called the living free workshop. If you go to btr.org slash living free, where we talk about thought strategies for women who are being abused right now, today, they are perhaps divorced or still married, but thought strategies and um, communication strategies and boundary strategies to get to safety. Because even when you are safe, even when you have those boundaries and then you're trying to process the trauma, you still have a journey ahead of you. But if you don't get to safety, if you're being, I call it punched in the face emotionally by your ex um, and people are like, get over it. He's your ex. What's your problem? I mean, nobody would ever say to you, just why do you have that bruise on your face? You got punched. Like you shouldn't get a bruise. And it's the same thing with emotional abuse. There's no way to not be hurt by it. And so we need to think of safety strategies, even post-divorce for post-divorce abuse that happens really frequently with women who share children with their abuser. It's, it's such a great point. And this is exactly why I say it again, you're the emergency room and the and I'm the recovery room or P, uh, PBT is the recovery room because they're, they need that safety. They need to know the tools and strategies to handle that. And then I'm coming from the space of, and it continues to happen unless and until you completely move through the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough. Right. There is a new version of you who has completely moved through it. But on that day to day, in the very beginning, you need those tools and strategies. You know, you also mentioned about uh, where I can see the betrayed with looking at it and making excuses for the betrayer. Well, they had their past trauma. They, you know, they're, they're healing from a lot. They have so much pressure. They have all these things. And that doesn't, yes, everybody has, they could go through whatever they're going through. That doesn't give the, that person a right to betray or a free pass or whatever. Or lie. I, I always say to that, I always say, well, 
did you have childhood trauma? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, hmm, are you stressed? And uh, at least at BTR, a lot of the time it comes down to misogyny because for some reason, women are like, oh yeah, but I would just because I had childhood trauma, I wouldn't cheat. But for some reason, if a man has childhood trauma, then that makes sense. But it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It's yeah. never going to make sense. And women, you're stressed out just as much as like, if not more than he is, you've got so much on your plate. So, so like he's stressed because of work, like, well, aren't you stressed because of your work and your childcare and all of the house, you know, all the things that you're doing, like stress is not a reason to lie. Um, there's all kinds of ways that people deal. Another one is shame. That one drives me crazy. Like sh the shame made me do it. And I'm like, I, I feel shame and I eat ice cream but I don't lie and I don't cheat and I don't go out and have sex with people. I don't know. You know, like I, I don't use pornography. I might eat ice cream. I might go for a walk and talk to my sister, you know, like, like shame isn't the problem. It's your choices that are the problem. So if you, if the same excuse would, does not apply to you, then you need to make sure that you don't use that with your abuser. If you also are stressed then no, it's, it's, it's an excuse. And it's, a, it's grooming that he has carefully constructed in order to basically get away with what he's doing and give you a reason to not just view it as a choice, which is what it is. Uh, again, I love that you're saying that. And I know sometimes I'll spin it and say, okay, well, how on a, let's say hundred percent best case scenario, how much are you giving to this relationship? And it'll be like 80%. How much are they giving at 20%? Would you, and then I switch it. Would you ever feel comfortable giving 20%? No. Well, then why in the world are you accepting that? So let's go there. Why is it? I, I, I'm so interested in your response to this. Why is it that women would feel that it's okay to accept so little from their partner and tolerate so much? You know, part, part of me thinks it's this societal scripting that we have grown up with that um, of maybe men and women's roles at times, um, the religious women have been told repeatedly they need to submit that they need to sacrifice and uh the men have too but for some reason the women are like the ones applying it right um they're like okay um i think that i i think the heart of it might be that i'm not sure because it's really hard to say i also think that women that women and, and I'll talk non-gender. So the non-abuser, the victim in this scenario genuinely does love and care about the other person. They genuinely are invested in the relationship. They genuinely are concerned, right? Oh, if you have childhood trauma, like I want to help you. I, I want to work with you. They are relational in the relationship is based on care for the other person. Abusers are transactional. So they don't actually care about the other person. They only care about what they get out of it. So they'll, they'll, they will, this is confusing to victims because there are these times where the abuser is so genuine. They know they're genuine. They're like, he loves me so much. And uh, it's confusing, right? They're like, that was such, like, we were so close. And um, I always say, well, what, what came out of that scenario? Did you have sex after that? He really loves the sex. He genuinely loves it. 
Um, did he make you, did you make him a great dinner? He loves that dinner. He loves it. He is so grateful. So when he looks at you with this like loving look on his face, like he really, really loves you. He is loving the transaction. He's loving what he gets out of it. So if the food wasn't there, or the sex wasn't there, or the whatever he gets out of it wasn't there, would he be there for you? That is the question that people need to ask. So I think because abusers are coming at it from this transactional point of view, they're thinking, well, she's not doing her part. So I, I don't have to do my part. She's not sexually attractive. So I can go have sex with other people because the relationship to them is transactional, whereas for a victim, it's relational. She cares about him. And that uh, makes all the difference. And to get out of that mindset of realizing like he actually genuinely doesn't care about me. He only cares about what he can get from me or what I provide for him. Then her, hopefully her mindset can shift and she can start realizing that's why he's only giving 20% is because maybe the transactions aren't working for him anymore. He's not getting what he thinks he's entitled to, you know, his exploitative privilege. So this is why he's not giving so much. Yeah. And that's a hard pill to swallow everybody. I know here you are expecting, I mean, this is the biggest, this is the problem. We're expecting other people to act in the same way that we are. So if you're coming at it from this relational standpoint and someone is responding transactionally, we're assuming they're going to respond relationally because that's how we think. And yeah. so there's this shock, like, wait a second, what do you mean? So, okay. So now someone's hearing this and, and I can hear, feel their heart sinking and they're realizing, oh my gosh, you know what? She's absolutely right. What does that person begin to do? How do they begin to extract themselves from this now? Thinking about safety on a daily basis is where we need to go. Um, and listening to that sacred internal warning system that you have. Uh, it might be overwhelming to think, uh, especially for women, because they're, they're maybe they're mothers. They might be stay-at-home moms. They haven't worked before. Or there might be scenarios like that where they think, I I. I don't want to break up my family. You know, I think a lot of women, they, they, uh, the abuse idea kind of stops right here because they're like, the, if, what that means is I have to get divorced. Right. So rather than thinking I have to get divorced, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to do that. Um, just start thinking about safety on a daily basis. So our living free workshop, for example, you can start implementing those safety measures, even when you're still married, or even if you're, you're like, I don't want to, I can't cut off contact with my ex because we share kids. Like that's not going to work. So you can start implementing those safety measures slowly. And over time, the safer you get, the better you feel, the safer you get, the better you feel, the stronger you get, you know, and then you'll be able to take steps more and more steps. Um, I think just taking one step at a time is the key because it's so hard to extricate yourself, especially from emotional and psychological abuse. And, and if divorce is in your future, um, the, the divorce can be the most emotionally and psychologically abusive time. It can be so, and divorces can last, you know, five, six years. So if you have safety strategies that you start using a little bit at a time and start walking down that path, then we find that you get stronger a little bit at a time and you don't have to take on the overwhelming thought of, oh my word, my whole life has to change tomorrow, you know, immediately. And maybe it does. You might be in a, a physical safety situation where you really literally do need to pack up your bags and head to the domestic violence shelter like 
yesterday, but most women in this scenario have a little bit of time where they can start taking small steps. That's the other thing is that um, when women start to seek safety, it does get more dangerous for them, right? Because he starts losing control. And so then that's when you might see a physical abuse episode occur. So being aware of that is really important. We have our um, steps to safety on our website. It's btr.org steps, where you can start taking steps to safety in a safe way. I mean, that's the goal, right? You can't always predict what's going to happen, but um, in a safe way so that you don't tip the abuser off and yet you're getting more and more safe and shifting things a little and hopefully getting to safety, complete and total safety over time, hopefully sooner than later. But um, what we've seen is it just is a process. It's it's very difficult to extricate yourself from emotional and psychological abuse. But an important process. But possible. Yes. Possible. Yes, yeah. possible for sure. Uh, you know, I hope this doesn't put you on a spot on the spot. I would love to hear, I would love for you to share a story of someone uh, who came to you uh, and how they came in and how they, how they left just to give people possibility and hope. Yes. So um, I'll tell the story of a woman named, I'll call her Sally. So she's a pediatrician. She's extremely educated and amazing. She spent years doing pornography addiction recovery with her ex, well, soon to be ex and um, didn't really realize what was happening, but things weren't getting better. They did like an official disclosure and all this therapeutic stuff with sex addiction and it was not getting better. Then she realized through BTR, listening to our podcast, listening to the BTR podcast, getting coaching that she had actually been sexually coerced throughout her marriage and at times raped by her husband, which is something, you know, a lot of people don't know. They don't realize that like, they're not really, they don't really want to do it, but they're being co coerced. So as she realized this, she started taking steps and then she has been learning about those strategic thought and communication and boundary, um, things we teach in the living free workshop. So she's been implementing those and she is so much happier. Currently she is going through the most messy, like, Oh, awful divorce in the world. He, um, and I just want to warn people about that. This is what, this is what freaks people out, right? They don't, they, they don't want to go there because they think this might take years and it'll be terrible. And that, that is happening to her. So, so you're like, tell them a story of hope. And I'm like, this is happening. The good news is she's stepping through it every day. She knows exactly what's going on. She knows what to do. She's taking steps one at a time. Um, and her children are with her. They don't believe her ex because she's taking these strategic steps. Uh, I talked with her often. She feels good. Like she seems happy. She seems at peace. Of course, there's these super stressful days, but in terms of like somebody who's doing this with the tools and with the support, they have a totally different experience than someone who is doing it by themselves and who doesn't have the tools, doesn't have the support. And in fact, you've got people, friends, usually family, people who care about you, who don't understand abuse, who are giving you bad advice and bad information. And when you implement it, like just forgive and be kind to him or something, you know, stuff like that it gets worse and they can't figure out why it's getting worse. So, um, even if things, so in her, in her, her example, 
things are going to be good for her. Like, and I, we see that with clients all the time. We can see that they are making the right decisions. They're being consistent with the way that they're implementing their boundaries. They're being consistent with the strategic communication with their abuser. And even though it gets a little worse before it gets better, because the, he can see he's losing control. You can see where it's going. You can see that he's starting to lose interest in controlling her and thinking, wait a minute, this, this isn't fun for me anymore. I mean, I'm not really getting anything out of this. So I'm going to maybe set my sights somewhere else. Um, and I think that's what women need to know is there is someone here to hold your hand, to give you the strategies. And we know what the strategies are. And I assure you, they are not love, serve, forgive, be nice, get over it. Um, why, why are you thinking about him? You know, all those things that people say that just like raise our hackles, you know, we're just like, Oh, I want to, but I can't. And we have the strategies that when, um, we say that instead of getting it being like, no, it'll be like, Oh, I can do that. I can do that. It's, it's so important. I'm so glad you shared that because it's not to suggest that it's an easy process. It's not, it may be the hardest and the most transformative work you'll ever do. So it's, it's worth it. And there's a saying that I've been saying my entire career and it's hard now, easy later, easy now, hard later, take your pick. It's going to be one of those two. This is the experience of hard now leading to the easy later. Like with the example you shared, she's going through something hard now to get to this freedom that's waiting on the other side. What do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? That there are so many layers to abuse that you may not be aware of that you are either accidentally oppressing yourself with by believing it or by sort of buying into this type of abuse. And by when you start peeling back the layers, what you'll realize is that you had nothing to do with it and you never did. If people are labeling you, you know, codependent or, you know, all these like labels that sort of make you at fault for it, that is not the case. I like to tell victims that it's similar to like a plane crash. Like you weren't the pilot. You, you didn't have anything to do with the plane crashing. Once that plane crashes and you like survive and you just like crawl out, um, none of us would be like, okay, well, I didn't cause the plane crash. I had nothing to do with this. Um, so now I don't have anything to do, right? Like we, we were in a plane crash and we are injured and now we need to learn skills and we need to heal because that pilot is dead. <laughs> the guy that crashed our plane, um, and it was 100% his fault. Like he cannot help us with our injuries. He cannot get us to safety. He can't heal us. He cannot help us recover. We need to like have the skills and the tools to get ourselves to safety and to recover. Um, but that doesn't mean it's sort of a weird dichotomy because it does not mean that it had anything to do with you or that any part of it uh, was your fault. I, I so love that. There's a reason why I brought you back. And that's why thank you so much for sharing again, another uh, amazing episode, your insights, your wisdom, your brilliance, you are helping so many women with what you do. Of course, we'll have everything in the show notes. And I just, I'm so grateful for the work you're doing just to, just to help women out of this, out of this mess that you're right, has nothing to do with them. So thank you so much, Anne. 
Thank you, Debbie. And thank you for all you do. You're incredible. Thank you so much. I love how Anne pointed out that we minimize abuse by saying things like, well, he doesn't hit me and justify and rationalize behavior we'd never tolerate in others. So why do so many women tolerate abuse? Stay in touch with Anne by going to btr.org and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Tune into your sacred internal warning system. If something doesn't feel right, it's because it's not. And if you're counting on clergy or couples counseling for support, if your concerns are being dismissed and minimized, not only is it harming you, it's also making it worse because now your partner sees even less of a reason to change their behavior. Think of it this way. If your child told you one day that they're experiencing exactly what you're experiencing, what would you suggest to them? And if that's the best advice you'd give them, why aren't you giving that to yourself? Yes, it's a lot to move through. And of course, we're here to help. It's hard stuff to move through, especially without the right support. And we have an entire community standing by with open arms. Join us at thepbtinstitute.com and join us for our most popular program, Reclaim, where you work one-on-one with our coaches, have access to our signature programs, go to live daily classes, master classes, and of course, get all the support you need from our incredible community. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.